Hello, and welcome to the Build, Build, Build edition of Political Traction. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. It's that very special time of year where we all get a glimpse into some sweet new deals and goodies. And no, we're not talking about Black Friday. It's budget season, baby, or really mini budget season here in Ontario. And a much anticipated address by the finance minister entitled Build Ontario, a notable shift in attention from all things COVID-19 was made. From trying to fix long-standing issues in Ontario's health and long-term care sectors, a new multi-million dollar staycation tourism fund, more on that later, raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, and a promise of new highways for the GTA, we have a lot to unpack in this week's episode. Joining us from the bustling halls of Queen's Park is a very special guest and friend of the podcast. Robert Benzi is the Queen's Park Bureau Chief with the Toronto Star. And if you know, you know Rob always knows what's up. This is Political Traction. All right, we are joined this week by the ever-fashionable, the dapper, and the incredibly uh, knows-everything that goes on everywhere, Rob Benzi from the Toronto Star. Rob, thanks for coming on the show. It is always a pleasure, Amanda. And uh, you cannot see him, listeners, to the pod, but he is currently reclining with a very nice scarf in a park somewhere just so he can be quiet, get out of the hubbub of of Queen's Park. But you're back there now every day, right? Yeah, I'm not in a homeless encampment. I'm actually actually (laughs) just huddled with you uh, on a park bench that is unoccupied. Um, (laughs) Yes, I am just down the street from Queen's Park, actually, off of University Avenue. Uh, right near sick kids, I guess. And uh, because I was looking for a quiet spot so you and I could chat. And yes, we are back in the, in the, the bureau. And we have been actually for much of the pandemic. But now Queen's Park is coming back to life. Uh, you have to show your uh, Vax passport to get into the building or uh, a recent negative test if you uh, choose not to share your status as a couple of former Tory MPPs uh, have chosen. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's getting back to normal. I mean, it feels like we are getting out of this thing. I don't know if it's a, a false dawn, but I hope it's I hope it's real. And as things are getting back to normal, what does that look like? Because Queens Park was pretty famous for these sort of like rough and tumble scrums, right? You'd see these shots of people sort of jamming together, you know, shouting over top of one another. Like I remember when I went to Ottawa, it was very like you know, it's very genteel up there in comparison to, I think the yeah. elbows that get thrown down at the park. So what is that back yet? Or are we still sort of mics on sticks and social distancing and that sort of thing? I mean, we're still having most of our availabilities with ministers and the opposition leaders uh, and critics in the media studio. Um, but we had a scrum this week with Christine Elliott, the health minister, which is the first time we've actually had a scrum. It was an impromptu thing and everyone was wearing masks and I know everyone was vaccinated. And we kept, you know, relatively good distance from one another and spoke with the minister uh, and she looked happy and we were happy. So it was, uh, I mean, I don't know if that's going to be the norm. There's sort of some toing and froing because uh, understandably the government likes having some control, right? So they don't Mm -hmm. like uh, free for all scrums. But uh, the problem is it's not a really great use of time. I mean, uh, and I don't know, know that they're necessarily getting their message out as well as they could if they let ministers just scrum as they left uh, instead of wasting, you know, half an hour while you're waiting around and, and, and all of that. So I, 
I, I mean, it's still a work in progress, but certainly it's a different than than last year when, for example, with the premier, you have a you you go in person and ask questions in person. And for you know much of the last twenty months, we've been doing this with phone calls, and that's that gets old pretty quickly, you know. Yeah, you actually had like for listeners at home who are not familiar with Queens Park coming, you had Jamie um, Fulte, who's who's with uh, yeah from City TV. Yeah. City TV Jamie was sort was, of like yeah, the premier's guy, right? Yeah. He, the, he, well, the pool, yeah. uh, premier's guy, the pool cam. So he would be the pool yeah. cam. So he followed the premier everywhere, and you guys would call in, and that was I was yeah. actually Jamie talking. did a great job for the whole gallery, and then we would phone in to a teleconference line, but then there were some complaints from some outlets that felt that they weren't getting as much access as other outlets were. Uh, I mean, it's always grumbling. I mean, reporters, you get 10 gr- reporters in a room, you're going to get grumbling and that's kind of par for the course. And uh, you get 10 politicians in a room and they're going to be grumbling too about something else. So it's, uh, it's just, uh, it is what it is. Um, but uh, I think everyone would go, would like to go back to a more um, uh, in-person kind of thing. And I think, frankly, it's going to be difficult for the government to continue to say that we're going to just do teleconferences if they want to send a signal that we're getting back to normal and and not have, uh, you know, vax passports after January 17th and, and all of these other kinds of things. I'm going to my expectation is if, if, if they're going to do that in the broader public, the expectation is that we, they better we, we better have that same uh, back to normal attitude at Queen's Park. And I, and I think we will. I think we will. I, I would support that mostly just because I like the fireworks. It makes for better, better news. It's my cheap seats. <laughs> it's, it does. It, yes, exactly. Exactly. Except when it's your minister or your premier or leader under fire. And then it's oh, also yeah. much fun, right? <laughs> oh, I remember those days too. Be like, is yes. there another way for us to get out of this building? How do we exit? <laughs> yeah. So uh, in new, speaking of fireworks, um, the, the, the Doug Ford's government, I guess, uh, Mr. Bethan Falvey has announced he get dropped his 179 page plan. Build Ontario. We're always they're always titles and funny things. It's one hundred eighty nine billion dollars in spending. Um, what did you make of the like they call the fall economic statement, which has gone from little it used to be like a presentation. Now, all of a yeah. sudden, she's basically a mini budget this year. Yeah. So yeah, what did you bad. make of this? Um, I think it, I mean, remember, Amanda, we're seven months from an election. Uh, so. June 2nd, 2022, Ontarians go to the polls. So uh, the premier and the finance minister, Peter Bethlenfall, they want to set the stage for that campaign. And the narrative that they hope to, uh, to uh, promote is that Ontario is emerging from COVID-19 and they want to pivot to recovery. And that's why they raised the minimum wage to $15 an hour uh, earlier than it would have been. And now it's going to be tied to inflation. So by the time, this time next year, the minimum wage will probably be around fifteen seventy-five or uh, fifteen sixty, something like that, if, depending on what inflation is. So it's, I mean, it's part of the the narrative that we're, you know, we're awakening after this long slumber. Um, they hope. I mean, in the fall economic statement on Thursday, Beth and Falvey was uh, pushing new highways, um, uh, the four thirteen, the um, uh, Bradford bypass. These are two huge um, uh, projects that the conservatives believe will be popular in with greater Toronto uh, area voters. And uh, we'll also send a signal of progress and uh, uh, building and, and all these other things. But, you know, they have, there are others on the other side of the political spectrum. We're very concerned about the environmental damage that highways cause uh, the uh, gridlock that inevitably happens when you uh, have um, uh, more highways. It, I mean, it's like an old adage, you don't, you build more highways, you get more traffic. It's very mm-hmm. strange 
phenomenon, but it, it, it is true. The government's also, of course, spending a lot of money on subways. Uh, downtown Toronto, the Ontario line, which goes from Ontario Place to the Ontario Science Centre, that's a huge project. The Scarborough subway that you and you know well is one of the one of the longest uh, uh, stop and go uh, projects in the history of transit in this country. That was uh, talked about in the mini budget, um, and I, and I think there was there was a sense of it. Uh, it wasn't all about COVID, even though there was still talk. You know, the fifty one billion dollars that they've devoted to COVID uh, in terms of money for hospitals, a uh, billion dollars for vaccines hiring of new nurses uh, and, and, and uh, long-term care beds, uh, the construction of those. So there's a lot of, there's a lot in it. Um, it was, it's a lot to absorb, but of course, the one thing that everyone was talking about was the staycation tax credit, which is a $270 million item that will mean, you know, you know, for you guys, for you and Mark, it'd be like 400 bucks. Uh, you know, me and my family would be 400 bucks uh, if we spend $1,000 on, or $2,000 on, um, on uh, renting a, a cottage or something next summer, we can claim it in 2023. I mean, it's I guess it's better than nothing, and it 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 was it's good retail politics. It's uh, it's worth 200 bucks for individuals, 400 for for families. So it's you know it's it's some it's it's a nice gesture, I guess, and it's uh, it was certainly popular. It was all over talk radio, and and uh, and it's doing well on on our website, the story. So. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say, because we were talking about that before. Um, I used to do this when I was at the city of Toronto, right? I'd say I want, I pick like three things that I wanted to be like yeah. average, you know, yeah. eye level, you say, right? Yeah. So yeah. I remember one year we were, we were cutting stuff and I'm like, I want the three things to be cut like really accessible pieces. So when we cut like yeah. beach combing from like five days to three, yeah. sorry, people in the beach. Um, yeah. But I was like, people aren't going to give a shit about like beach combing is ridiculous. Like it's not ridiculous, but it certainly doesn't yeah. need to happen five days a week. So yeah. this strikes me as, Anyways, interesting because it was the big topic on the radio this morning for me as well when I was on news talk. And then at the end of it, I like I loved it, but it was like, anyone have anything else to say about the budget? And it was just like <laughs> fucking silence. And I was like, there's 180 million. Like, this has happened before too with the I remember the federal Tories dropped their platform and they're like, Yeah, there's not a lot. I'm like, there's 180 pages of stuff in here. We could do a show every day about um, but you know, I won't I don't want to belabor this the speculation on that. I am curious because I think we could talk on and on about the media and the attention this does, but it strikes me. They very much have put forward the highways, right? I mean, the headline in your paper yeah. was the road to like election is, is for four lanes or whatever, whatever, something like that. Um, and this is happening in the shadow of cop 26. Um, yeah. All the opposition have come out hard and heavy. So they obviously, and this is a very controversial project that the Bradford bypass has been fought before yeah. by the liberals. So, are they, they seem to be deliberately gearing up for a fight on this because they think this is, this is a winning like battleground for them is that what yeah. the sense you're getting yeah i mean the bradford bypass is actually a more likely project to get built uh it's the 20 it's they want to start building next year and finish it by 2024 uh stephen del duca the liberal leader is not as opposed to that one um uh he's his he goes near his riding uh or the riding he, he'll be running in it's michael tabolo's riding now uh, the tory minister um but del duca is hoping to take it back because tabolo beat him in 2018 um, and uh, he, uh, but the, the 413, so the Bradford Bypass is 16 kilometers. The government already owns, or the province already owns most of the land. The 413, though, is way more high in the sky. It's like a 60 kilometer road that goes from Milton, 401 at Milton, all the way to the 400 at Vaughan. And there is so much land that has to be uh, expropriated. Part of it goes through the green belt, there's a lot of sensitive lands. I mean, I wouldn't bet the farm, no pun intended, on that thing ever being built. 
but it is a good vote getter in the sense that there's going to be 905 people stuck in traffic thinking if only there were another highway here, uh, it would be great. And the other thing too is, I mean, this highway, if they started construction tomorrow, which they won't, uh, it would be, would be still not finished for like a decade or something like that. It's just insanely a long-term project could cost $10 billion. So it's, it's, it's a good election issue. I'm not really necessarily sure that it's going to be something that, that, will, that they'll be able to point to as any kind of an achievement. You know, I mean, by the time it gets built, it could be, you know, someone else could be, Stephen Lecce could be the premier or, or, uh, or uh, you know, uh, uh, Amanda Simard or, or, uh, or uh, Sarah Singh, someone like that. Someone younger, much younger could be the premier of Ontario by that time. Um. And the, you, you touched on minimum wage, which came out on Tuesday. Uh, yeah. You know, it sort of catches Ontario up to Alberta, which raised a $15 minimum wage. I think pegging it, I agree with you. I think it's smart politics. Yeah. Um, do you think, do you think the premier is going to be successful in this appeal to sort of like the lunch bucket kind of more, you know, we saw Aaron O'Toole try it too. He's tried it intermittently in his, his time. Is this, we're going to yeah. see, an ex- they've been doing this worker for, I've never seen like Monty McNaughton, who's a very hardworking yeah. minister. I've yeah. literally never seen the man. He's out more than I have in the last two weeks. He's out like every day making an announcement, working for workers is the third pillar of this thing. Do we do we see them? Do you think they're going to be successful in kind of eating what looks like the NDP's lunch a bit with that voter block? I think they are. If they're not successful, it won't be because they didn't try hard. I mean, because <laughs> uh, I mean, Monty McNaughton, as you say, he has been out and about with tons of measures. Some are uh, at the fringes. Some are, you know, even little things like Gig, gig workers, Uber, Uber drivers, uh, Uber delivery people who are suddenly will have access to the bathrooms of the places that they're that they're picking up from. Th- those are little gestures, but they mean a lot to people uh, working in those jobs. Um, the minimum wage increase. Uh, there's some conservatives who aren't happy that it's going to ju- jump from fourteen thirty-five to fifteen dollars on January first. They're saying, "What about small business?" I was speaking to senior conservatives about this yesterday, who said, "Look, if your business is so..." close to the edge that a 65 cent change in labor cost uh, is going to put you over the edge. You may be, think, you may need to think about it, a, another line of work. Um, Ontario has 300,000 unfilled jobs, Amanda. There's like so much, mm-hmm. uh, there are so many um, positions that need to be filled that there aren't a lot of people actually making the current minimum wage because businesses uh, can't, can't hire them. I, I spoke to a, a friend of mine who owns uh, some coffee shops. He uh, he's he pays more than the minimum wage because no one's going to work for 14 bucks an hour. They work for 17 bucks an hour. Uh, speaking to a, a guy who owns restaurants, he said the same thing. And it's now the reality is all of us as consumers are going to have to pay a bit more for the products that we enjoy in these places if we because the, the businesses have to pass those costs on to us. And I understand that. I think that's fair enough. It's also not bad for the economy. The more you pay people at the, especially the lower end of the scale, the more money goes back into the economy. Guy making 15 bucks an hour is going to spend every dime uh, 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 that he makes. Um, and if he made 18 bucks an hour, he'd probably still spend every dime that he made. So I think it's, it's, it's Ontario's not a low wage jurisdiction. And the, the, the idea that it could be that's fallen by the wayside. We're a high wage, high education jurisdiction. And I think that's what successive liberal and conservative governments have realized. And I think that's why uh, Ford has done this. I mean, he was adamant against the $15 minimum wage in 2018. He said it was, it was a job killer. Well, we know that that's not the case. Now, you know, you mentioned the staycation thing, which I I was joking to Mark on the phone. Or I was like, hey, honey, I was like, want to go <laughs> steak? I'm like, 
that nice anniversary trip I wanted to take in February. I'm like, we can get a tax credit for it. And it was like a fraction of what, but anyway, I appreciate it. And we may take advantage of it. Um, but other than staycationing, you know, this is 179 page in highways and minimum wage. Um, are there any other sort of sleeper issues or, or things that haven't quite popped yet that you think will be, people should know about or will be hearing about in the coming weeks? I mean, in terms of tax breaks for people, not necessarily. Um, there, there wasn't the gas tax uh, decrease that I think some people had hoped for. Uh, and remember, uh, Ford promised that in 2018, and he's only halfway there on, on cutting gas uh, taxes. And I don't, I don't know if he'll get there. Um, they're spending so much money subsidizing electricity and other things already. They spend about $6 billion a year so that we can all have cheaper hydro than it actually costs. Uh, that uh, I'm not sure they're going to be able to deliver on the, on the gas stuff. Uh, there was, though, there was, so there was some little things that I think are meaningful uh, and significant. Uh, they doubled the money that they were, they, the, the, the Ontario government, to its credit, was the first government in Canada to announce that it was going to spend money on uh, residential school grave recovery. Um, there were 18 of those schools in Ontario dating back to 1870. And uh, Last summer, in, when, uh, around the time of the Kamloops uh, discovery, uh, the government said it would spend $10 million over three years to look at the Ontario schools. They figure there's several hundred or six, 700 grave sites that they know of that they want to go through. Uh, well, in the, in the economic statement, they doubled that to $20 million. And that, it didn't get a lot of headlines, Amanda, but it's, it's significant because it shows that they're treating this issue seriously and that they understand that Ontarians expect their governments to work hard on reconciliation. Uh, I think that's, it's not something that you maybe would think intuitively that Doug Ford would be the, 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 the guy doing this. He's not, you know, uh, as, as maybe as, as, as attuned to those issues you'd think as maybe Justin Trudeau or someone like that. But on Truth and Reconciliation Day, uh, Doug Ford was, was uh, doing his bit at a ceremony at, here in Toronto at Massey College uh, with indigenous leaders. He wasn't walking on a beach in Tofino. So I think, Sometimes uh, politicians can surprise you uh, in both ways, in a good, in good ways and bad. I'm curious, uh, Minister Bethan falvey has been in his job, um, I guess, a year and almost year? a year. Yeah, Since almost a year now. New Year's, New Year's Eve. Yes. New, I, yeah. Okay, that should be a, that's when, a significant day. Yes, I remember that yes. that holiday yes. uh, season. Yes. What yes. do you, uh, you know, this government's kind of chewed through their finance ministers. Um, he seems to be pretty, pretty yeah. for their own benefits or not, um, or, or foibles or not. Um, what do you make of the, the job he's doing and kind of his kind of role in the government right now? Um, I think he's, uh, he's, the mini budget went over well. His March 24th budget, uh, you know, I mean, some people said they, 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 they left too much money on the table that they could have spent more on COVID because the deficit was much lower than expected. Um, but we still have massive deficits. They're still spending record amounts. Uh, $189 billion is, is about 20% more than Kathleen Wynne spent in her last year as premier. So, and she was supposedly the big spending liberal. Well, now we have the big spending Tory government. Um, but I mean, in, in fairness though, Bethan Falvey inherited a pretty um, good shop from Rod Phillips, who of course uh, stepped down after his uh, ill-conceived uh, vacation to St. Bart's last Christmas. And that's why he uh, was, he stepped down and he's now in long-term care and by all counts doing a really um, uh, good job on that file uh, in terms of, because he was a former finance minister, he, he knows how to get money for a ministry. And there's a lot of money that they're spending on that. It's a, it, it, in many ways, it's a thankless 
ministry because you're dealing with, uh, with um, a, you know, vulnerable population. There are a lot of challenges, but the government is, has made a concerted effort toward that. And, and Minister Phillips and Mr. Bethenthal, have worked closely with Premier Ford to ensure that, you know, seniors and people living in congregate settings uh, have a better uh, shake than they had in 2020. Um, I mean, remember about 3,800 of Ontario's 9,800 uh, COVID deaths were in long-term care homes, certainly in the first part of the pandemic. And that, and that the government really took a lot of heat for that. And uh, understandably, I mean, it's not just this government's fault, it's successive governments dating back to the, the you know, the, the conservatives in the, in the 90s, you could argue. Um, people are living longer uh, and they're, the, the settings of these homes is, is some of them, are, it's not great. I mean, it was a bad look for Ontario that the, uh, the, the Canadian Armed Forces had to come in and help uh, run some of these homes. The government has new legislation. They're, they're going to be basically, I think every single home uh, has, I guess, I think there's, there's one inspector for every two homes. So that means that these places are going to be inspected much more than they ever were before. Um, and there's going to be higher standards expected. Now, that's going to come with a cost, though. I mean, so we have to, as a society, have to say, are we willing to pay so that our elderly can, can grow old with, with dignity? And I think, I think there is a heartfelt feeling right now. But I don't know, Amanda, like 10 years from now, are people still going to be wanting to, 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 to be paying the, what we're paying? I mean, there are new things that come up. There, there, there are new uh, uh, initiatives that, that shiny baubles that attract governments. Yeah, it's sometimes it's not you know it's not the sexiest thing old older people in in uh, in in long term care it's unfortunate uh, that that's the case but that's you know and we're all going to get there this is the thing that really sucks and 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 we all have to understand how we're going to pay for it though it, it may mean higher taxes down the road and I think if people are willing to pay that great but if they're not they can't complain when they get to the old folks home and it's shitty you know. Yeah, actually, I got a chance to um to your point on that. Like, it's it's interesting to see a combination of like a Rod Phillips at long term care, um, because that ministry historically hasn't had sort of that kind of caliber of, to be blunt, that caliber of no. minister, right, at all. Yeah. So he's yeah. serious about it, and you've got Beth and Falvey, who I find is a very kind of steady hand on the tiller for the government as far as finance minister, which he lends kind of a nice sort of yeah. rigidity and I think some prof- professionalism to to the functioning of this stuff at, at times and and some and some rigor. And I was actually, I was interviewing um, Minister Phillips at a Canadian club event about it. And one, he knew his file, it was his first public event since everything had happened. He knew his file cold. Um, yeah. You know, he was, and he's doing these spots and he you know, goes along with inspectors yeah. and just shows yeah. up at the sites. And actually Minister Beth and Falvey and he had gone together at 6am to do a surprise inspection on it. And I, I was like, I was like, I couldn't imagine. I'm like, what did you guys think? You just showed up? Like, do you have inspector outfits on or but I was I was heartened as, as cute as it like the undercover bossness of it all. I was really heartened to see that because I think he talked about the last we talk about the first 20 years of life. And we focus on a lot. We don't focus on the last 20 years of our lives. Yeah. And I think yeah. the idea that the government is focusing on that after what we've been through, even if maybe the votes aren't there, like you can bitch about highways and, you know, yeah. weird staycation tax credits. But to me, like the investment in this one, I think makes sense and actually is. I, I'm, I feel good about that as a taxpayer. Um, but you're right. You know, will this be popular in 10 years when we forget about COVID and masks? Hopefully. Um, I don't know. It'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, and yeah, it's, it's, and, and that, that management by walking around a uh, piece where Rod Phillips and Peter Beth and were just showing up. That's a, that's an interesting way of doing business. And I think it's, 
it's it keeps people on their toes and i think it's i mean it's it, i mean it's it, more more politicians i think should get out and about and 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 have a look at how the operations are working yeah mayor tory when i worked for him was like famous for this like he would just show up yes, places yeah. no i know drove me i know i know nuts nuts but yeah. and as as a external stakeholder i think it's great but i was like the mayor is he's where doing what and there are cp24 yeah. cameras there. i was like ah. yeah Anyway. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's always smart to have the media cameras with them for this because then it becomes a publicity stunt, but yeah. Well, they did it quietly. All right, well, I know yes. you're a busy man with many places to go and many secrets to uncover, uh, which I'm sure we'll <laughs> read about in, in Star Exclusives and Star Gets Action, therefore, after. Um, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, always nice to see you, Amanda. I hope you guys are well and have a great weekend. Political Traction is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show is produced by John Gardner, Kimberly Drapek, Matthew Barnes, and Thomas Ashcroft. A very special thank you goes out to this week's guest, Robert Benzie. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate us online or wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Traction Polly. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. We'll see you next Friday.